So again this morning, we come back to our practice, come back to the breath, the sitting, breathing body with all of its many sensations and events, seeing, hearing, tasting, other body sensations. And then the mind and the heart. The human catastrophe. So much of this practice is about being present with whatever is in the moment. being with the breath as the anchor to our practice. Being with body sensations when they're strong and they make it difficult to be with the breath. Being with the mind and the heart so complicated and so many different states that come and go. But the wonderful thing about this practice is that there is nothing, there is nothing that cannot be included in your practice. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how unpleasant it is, no matter how judgmental you are about what's going on in your mind and your heart or your body, or even the judgment itself, all of that can be included in your practice. It's just the way it is in this very moment. That never means that we don't work to have a healthier body or more skillful mind states. But in the very present moment, whatever is there is there. And being awake to it is the first step in any process of change. We spend so much time caught in our stories about how things are or how things might be in the future, how we'd like to change them and so little time being just here, enjoying, working with, struggling with, whatever the present moment is. At this end of the retreat, perhaps that initial instruction of here 
The Pali word is ida. Ida. Here is what we need to be. There's a story about a sign that was taken from Las Vegas. It said, you must be present to win. It's true in Vegas and it's true in life. So today, in the sitting, in the walking, in your interviews, in your qigong, in your showering and toileting and resting and eating. See if you can be here. What a remarkable thing it would be to have an entire day where you are here. Not in the future, not in your commentary, not in your judgments and criticisms, just simply here. It would be a remarkable day if you were here most of the time. So today, remember that the breath, wherever you watch it, is your anchor. Be with other events as they are strong and compelling. Come back every time you get caught. Every now and then, even notice that you can be mindful of thinking itself. one moment after another. Very simple, not so very easy.
a reading for the end of the sitting from Rilke. I want to beg you as much as I can to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. So it's lovely to be back with you and thank you for all your good wishes yesterday. I wasn't a very happy camper for a while. Um, and I'm looking at some of these leftover questions um, <laughs> and I think maybe that last reading was for some of you whose questions aren't going to be answered. So, um, because there's no way, you know. And... Um, Although Bob and I, I know Bob's email address is already up and mine will be. So, you know, if anything's really burning. Um, I just wanted to say, I spotted one about forgiveness. And I just wanted to say a little something there. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So, one of the things that my teacher, my first teacher, Jack Cornfield, used to like to say about forgiveness is that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a happy past. And um, there's something to that. And maybe I would add to that while keeping the heart open. So it's just so important to know that forgiveness is not about pretending that something didn't happen or having to have somebody back in the middle of your life when it might not be safe to do so. It's really about, can you keep, even if you can't let them into your living room, can you let them into your heart? And, um, and it's a process that can take a long, long time. So I encourage you, if it's a question for you, to consider that even, even knowing that you would like to be able to forgive somebody is a huge step. And it may be where you are right now. And then 
maybe in three or four years, you can send them a little metta. And then maybe in another few years, you know, the heart will be more open and you will really wish them well in every way, even if you can't ever see them again. So um, I encourage you to think about that and take it in. And, and I'm open now to other questions about the practice or anything that was said last night that you want my take on or whatever. So, please, bud. Um, <clears throat> say a little bit about the reverse. Um, I wronged someone in the past. Uh-huh. And I want them to forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting question, really. You, so he, I think you all heard it. He wrongs somebody. He wants them to forgive him. And he doesn't want them back in his life. So here's a question. Have you forgiven you? That may be where it's at. You know, that um, in a sense, it's, you know, it's their heart that's still closed, if it is, or open, if it isn't, um, if they have forgiven you. But really, I think the important place is whether you've forgiven you. And that's a huge thing in forgiveness practice, forgiving ourselves. Probably all of us have stuff. So I'd work there for a while. Yeah. Please, in the back, Bronwyn. I think that's Bronwyn. Uh-huh. Right. Right. So did you all hear that? She's suggesting that compassion is a vital element to the process of forgiveness because it is in the practice of compassion that we are able to be fully present with pain, our own pain and another's pain. The word karuna, which is the Pali word for passion, means the quivering of the heart. I've always loved that, because it's that place where when we feel somebody's pain and the heart just quivers, almost literally. And so in dealing with someone who has harmed us, it can be very helpful Here's actually, it's a a process. You can consider where you have that same energy in yourself, where you would have done the same thing. And often, when we know where it is in ourselves, we feel the pain and the suffering that creates that energy, and then we can have compassion for their pain and suffering. So it it can be a several-step process. But when we consider that the person was scared, that they were afraid, that they were hurting, then it is true that the heart is much more likely to open. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah. Please. I'm confused about kind of the big picture. You often stress um, paying attention to the breath. Uh-huh. And yet a lot of our time has been suggestions that we meditate on the spleen or... <laughs> <laughs> or, or the saliva or the stomach. And I am having a lot of trouble not just 
Okay. So, I like to think of meditation as a bit like having a telephoto lens in the in our awareness. And sometimes we take that telephoto lens and we are looking at the tiniest thing. Like I said the other day in the hall, it's not only just the breath, it's the hairs in your nose blowing in the breeze. And your attention is right in on that thing. It's so up close. You can't see, hear, smell, taste, touch, anything else. That's just where your concentration is. Sometimes there's a lot going on and then we pull way back with our telephoto lens and we have this wide-angle lens, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, mental events all happening at once. It's crazy. And the only thing you can do is say, it's crazy. There's lots of in-between places. So the body parts practice was a particular practice to bring some further awareness and attention to the body, to appreciate both how it does us rather than our doing it. Somebody's, somebody, I think it was in a note, said, I hate to think what, would be, what it would be like if this were on manual. <laughs> you know, if you had to manually control everything in your body. I mean, we wouldn't, we, we, we couldn't be, could we? So, so it's, it's, I would put that a little bit to one side. We, it's, it's a separate practice. It's not the basic Vipassana mindfulness practice. And it's a wonderful practice to bring that awareness to the body, to see how it's a collection of all these entities that are functioning to produce us. And that, as Bob has stressed many, many, many times, has the nature to die. So, yeah, you want to add a little piece? Um, and also I've been encouraging very explicitly and again that um, the body is our storehouse of our life Hmm. and so we may not you know as we enter into the body how can we not at times experience various thoughts and emotions that are evoked by staying with the body I gave the example last night and other times the woman who was concentrating on her head here, and then the memory arose of the sweet sadness of stroking her dying grandmother's hair. It's all here. The, within these parts, within this body, is our lives. And so it's not just one-dimensional soul honing in on some anatomical part, though it has an aspect of that, but that anatomical part can open up our whole world, our whole life. And that is the field that we're bringing attention to. Physically, mentally, emotionally. The whole four foundations of mindfulness are right in these parts as well, from a broader perspective. Does that help? Very well. Yeah, good. Okay. Our history is here inside our body. Yeah. Maybe one more if there is one. If not, please. Could you talk some about fear? Ah, fear. Now we're here for the whole day, I think. (laughs) Fear. Well, you know, fear is a mind state that arises. 
it's impermanent, and it's always about the future. Jack used to like to say, Jack Kornfeld, you know, if the bear has your elbow, what you're worrying about, what you're afraid of, is what happens when he gets to my head, you know? (laughs) So often, when we are afraid, what's very, very helpful is to realize that in this very present moment, we're coping. It may be difficult, but we're coping, and that the fear is out there. Now, I want to put a little side thing here. Sometimes fear is very useful. If you're in the middle of the street, the truck is barreling down on, the, on you, and the fear comes up, you know, oh my goodness, I'm going to get hit by the truck. Please don't stop to analyze your fear or think about the future <laughs> moment. Get out of the way, you know. But then there's other kinds of fear. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story. I think it might help. Some years ago, I had one of those diagnoses, you know, they they thought maybe they'd kind of sort of seen something that might have to do with my kidneys and I had to go in for a CT scan or some kind of a scan. And, of course, I the fear immediately was planning my funeral, right? I had disease and death and, and I got quite interested because I had to wait several days in how the, how the fear would come through in waves. And there would be just this wave of fear and all about the future. And, you know, I was eating breakfast or lying in bed with my husband or something. I was fine in that very present moment. But the fear was out there. And then it would subside. And then it would come back in in another wave. So it became very interesting to, to sort of recognize the, the wave-like quality and the future element of it so that I could handle it skillfully because it's one of those states that it's very important to listen to sometimes and other times it's very important to recognize that it's a mind state rolling through. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Quick because Just we're running a, out of time. Two things. Remember uh, St. Yoda that fear leads to the dark side of the force. <laughs> but more importantly, when we speak of the arias the noble ones, the ones that have lessened and eradicated greed, hatred, and ignorance, they're also called, and I love this translation, they're called the fearless ones. And the fearless ones are the ones that can look death in the eye and the fear is not there. They can look life in the eye and the heart and it's not there. That lessening, eradicating of our own greed, hatred, and ignorance. So I love that as a definition. The noble ones are also referred to as the fearless ones. But somebody wanted to know, when would we know that there was full awakening? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) And um, so I think that fearless place is way out there for most of us. So... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.